welcome to this episode of Saintly Witnesses, where I talk to the Catholic behind the account. Today, I'm speaking with Gunnar Gunderson, who is a lawyer out of California. Uh, today, he's going to share his faith journey and talk about the deeper message and meaning of being and serving as a lawyer. Um, Gunnar has contributed at a, many different places, uh, including First Things Magazine, uh, Federalist, and even out there in his home state with the LA Daily Journal. And by far, he's probably one of the only people I've ever seen who has a devotion to serving the God Thea Bowman, at least from what I understand about him. And I think that's super profound. And so uh, I hope you get to talk, I hope I get to hear a little bit about that eventually during this conversation. So thank you for coming through and um, talking about your faith journey. Yeah, no, it's gonna be great. Uh, Thanks for that introduction. (laughs) Yeah, so um, let's get started. So you mentioned before we were recording that you, growing up and how you were exposed in the Christian faith, is like a a multi-journey, a multifaceted journey. So give us your your view of how you became Catholic. Yeah. I, you know, I have a Lutheran dad and a Catholic mom, and I didn't think they ever quite 100% ended up agreeing exactly how to approach my faith as a kid, at the strong sense that my abuela was a strong influence here. I was visiting my family. My mom's from South America. I was visiting them when I was four years old, and uh, they took me to go get baptized at the age of four, so I didn't. I wasn't baptized as an infant, but uh, I also experienced a lot of my dad's uh, Lutheran um, faith and his approach to faith. Uh, went to my aunt's uh, Protestant Sunday school and um, got all the way through my first communion at the Catholic church. But then, um, you know, attending mass became kind of intermittent after that. My brother was really... Um, like the cheerleader for making sure that the the family, you know, went to church and um, had more than just the personal devotions. Like actually they participated in the, in the life of the church. Um, but then she, she died of pancreatic cancer. How did they morph into you becoming or growing up into the, into the church? Like what happened early on in your journey? So, yeah. So I left, you know, I left, or I grew up in Oregon, more or less. I mean, that's a whole other story. But, uh, you know, I was born in Oregon. That's where my dad's family's from for a long time on his mom's side. And then um, we moved to Houston for a while. And then we moved to Saudi Arabia. And then we moved back to Oregon. And a lot of that time in between, we'd take trips to South America. My um Mom has uh, a whole bunch of brothers, and they were the Catholic family, um, their Afro-Latino family. And um, my uh, my abuela, who's really the kind of the one who really put the importance on on going to church and participating in the sacraments, um, and she um, she was the one that kind of I think was the cheerleader for all that and. And then when she died, you know, we just stopped going to church as much. 
Um, and like, like I said, you know, my dad's anti-Catholicism, I think played a part in that. And then, um, I went off to college, um, basically armed with like, you know, whatever you learned about the faith when you're seven or eight years old for your first communion. Um, you know, I had a sense of myself as Catholic and because I did the catechism classes and my mom was Catholic, that's, that's how I sensed myself was I've, I identified with the liturgical reality that I was a Catholic, but I didn't know a lot about what that meant by the time I went to college. Um, so it was more cultural. Um, so then I went to college and um, didn't go to church. I mean, I like I knew there was a Catholic center at U- University of Southern California is where I went, and uh, kind of like popped my head in. It didn't really speak to me or my Catholic experience. Uh, you know, I've very come from ultimately, even though I went to Catholic church in Oregon because my mom was a immigrant and come from that like afro latino indian kind of catholic experience um the people at the sc catholic center is more like you know just like a white middle class catholic experience it didn't feel the same to me as when i was experiencing it with my family so i didn't get involved with that and um but you know every once in a while when i had to do a test or got myself in a little trouble here and there. Like I still knew instinctually, like I say, Hail Mary, things like that. Um, I think those, I think, you know, I think those Hail Marys and my, uh, you know, my abuela praying for me in heaven did a lot of work for me while I was in college. And then, uh, and then I met, I met my future wife um, and I joke. Um, she, she has an Italian last name but she grew up totally Methodist Protestant. Um, She, she felt like there was something inauthentic in the Protestant experience. She kept going to these different Protestant churches that they go haphazardly for holidays, but there's like different places. And they all felt like she, she said this, right. They all felt like to her, they popped up yesterday. Um, You know, her only real experience with um, kind of Catholic spirituality was she was a big fan of the sound of music. And her grand, her Italian grandparents had been raised Catholic, but they had left going to regular church attendance a long time ago. They sent their kids to Lutheran church, though they got their kids baptized Catholic, which I guess will play a part later, maybe on the story. Um, but she personally was, it was all outside looking in for her in terms of Catholic experience. So we were getting more serious and I was visiting my family for Thanksgiving and she was visiting her family. We were, you know, talking all the time, you know how it is when you're first together and she was, we're all excited and we're talking through things and we were getting more serious thinking about, you know, married. And if we get married, like I had that experience of being raised in a mixed family like that. I didn't, I didn't like it. So I started talking, I was like, well, what do we, you know, if we have kids, like, what would we, what would we raise them? You know, she's like, well, you know, I was always raised, basically Christian because I'm American, but I'm not feeling it. She's like, I think, and she had a lot of Jewish friends. She's like, I either think I'd, I'd be Jewish or Catholic. 
And, and at this, this is, I, I always attribute this, you know, these are those things you can't prove, but it's like, um, you know, I think my abuela sent me a good help into the Holy spirit right there. Uh, I haven't been in church forever. And, um, but I was like, look, I love my Jewish brothers and sisters. I got nothing against uh, Judaism, but I could never, like, I could never give up Jesus. So if we're going to be together, like you can't, I, 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 we can't do the Jewish, Jewish thing. Like, uh, you know, you already said you're, you're Christian cause you're American. Like, well, let's hold on to Jesus, but let's go do the Catholic church. And she's like, well, she's like, I don't know much about that. Like, what is it? And of course, of course, here's, here's where I'm in trouble, right? I have not been a good boy. Um, and I don't know that much. Right? I haven't studied deeply. The one Bible I got to buy is the King James Bible. That's a good Bible. Cause you know, that's what I learned in my Lutheran and Sunday school. So I you know, obviously I'm not, you know, hundred percent there, but again, I got that helping of the Holy spirit. And I said, look, I don't know much, but I do know that the Catholic church is where Jesus lives in the Eucharist. He's there at church. And I know that if you need your sins forgiven, that's you go. But it was enough to whet her appetite and to like start a discussion about maybe, you know, going back and checking it out. That's important right there. Thank you for sharing that. So my next question in your journey is, was there any memorable teaching or people in your life that helped influence you? Yeah. So, I mean, I think for those, for those basic parts about having that attachment, like I said, I think, big big parts of it my my abuela and my abuelo um you know my my abuelo kept like uh i don't know if you ever seen like those um those like like you know shrines like home shrines they had one of those home shrines so you could tell it was like important to him he had you know the saints the pictures of the family and you know and my mom when she i think when she had more support from her family uh you know she took me even though it wasn't easy she took me to church. I remember in particular one time she took me aside and showed me a statue of the Virgin Mary and explained to me how, even though, you know, even she struggled a little bit sometimes with, you know, the hierarchy or some of the things with the institutional church, that the special role that the church sets aside for Mary as a woman and the, her importance um, was what one of the things that kept her at church. Um, and so that, I remember that being something she said to me. I mean, I still remember it to this day. Uh, couldn't have been that old when she told me. Um, so things like that as in terms of my youth. Um, but then, so we, we tried fits and starts. My wife bought, she's is how she is mentality. She, she like just bought the catechism of the Catholic church, like a uh, borders books. I don't think those exist anymore. And she kind of started reading it from front to back. Um, you know, I wasn't that methodical about it. I was like, well, I'm already, I'm already Catholic. I'm on the hook. So, <laughs> but I started checking it out. I had no idea that you had to get married in a Catholic church. If you're a Catholic or at least get permission. So long story short, through lots of ups and downs, we decided to just go get married in Las Vegas. So my first, my joke I always have is that my first marriage was Roman. My next one was Roman Catholic. So we got married at uh, Caesar's palace. <laughs> and uh, you know, just clicked the box and said pastor. So we got like some some random Christian pastor guy showed up, married us. 
But then, see, I, I got my awareness of something that was funny because they took the video down. My, my grandfather just died this year, so he was alive for a long time. They took it down to my abuelo. And they're like, oh, look, here. Like, they show the whole family. And he starts looking at it, and he's like, wait a minute. Is that, is that a church? And they're like, uh, uh. And he's like, is that a Catholic priest? And I was like, what's the, I was like, what's the problem with that? And so anyway, that's kind of, kind of started dawning on me that I was like, oh, but then no one ever explained to me. It's like, oh, that means like, you know, according to church law, like it's not valid or any of that hardcore stuff. It was just like, oh, well, Catholics, you know, they, 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 they want you to get married in the church. I was like, okay. So, and I didn't look into it that hard. Like, um, then we went to law school at Pepperdine, both of us. It was my second year. And the Passion of the Christ had just come out. So there was tons of media about the Passion. And the church, the Catholic church that's near the campus is literally, the campus is on this big hill. And you just could just put your car in neutral. And you could just like slide down and go into church, like no, no effort. But we still hadn't managed to get there. Um, and I think it was the Discovery Channel was having some special on what scourging was like what it actually was just clinically and going through it and we were watching we decided to watch it i don't even know how we happened on it we were like channel surfing and we're transfixed but listening to this example of what it was you know tearing of the flesh how awful it was and we kind of both looked at each other and we're like oh my gosh it was kind of like put up or shut up time it's like if you went through this for us like how can we not like put the car in neutral and go talk to the priest down there um, so we did it. So we did it. Uh, we went to mass. I kind of fumbled my way through from memory. Man, my wife didn't know anything was going on. We walked out at the end, told the priest kind of a high level overview of our situation. And he put me in touch with the nun that was in charge of the RCIA. That was the beginning. I started to be the beginning of that. Um, but part of that in terms of starting to take that more seriously was I met a professor Pepperdine Catholic professor, uh, Doug Kamek. And he started becoming a bigger influence in my life. So you and your wife or your wife converted to the Catholic church. What would you say to somebody who wants to convert? If you, if you believe in Christ and love Jesus, it's exhausting trying to imagine what he's like which is kind of what you have to do when you're on your own and not connected to some institution that has the guarantee of communicating the life of christ to you you know see what i'm saying so it's like you can never be sure i think when you're outside the church are you really in a relationship with Jesus or are you in a relationship with your idea of Jesus? Um, and people do have a relationship with Jesus outside the, you know, the, the formal church, right? There's all kinds of people are brothers. They are brothers and sisters in Christ, a lot of them baptized, but there's a lot more risk. I think being outside than being in and being in, you got, you know, you got the guarantee that the life of Christ is there. The Holy spirit is there to help you build up your relationship with Jesus 
and kind of free you up. Like you don't have the mental burden of, of, and the spiritual burden of kind of having to hold a whole church together in your own, in your own mind, the church is there and you get to relate to it. Thank you for sharing that information. That's super powerful, especially the quote that you said about being outside versus being in. So my next question is what influenced you to get into law? I was a kid. I was like, I was super into uh, the environment. I love, you know, uh, I wanted to do something to protect the environment. And uh, my like, dad just on a lark said, well, you know, you could become an environmental lawyer and sue people and stuff like that for who are, you know, trying to hurt the environment. I was like, Oh, that sounds like that could be cool. Um, and then, so that kind of put the idea in my head. And then as I got a little bit older, becoming a lawyer, um, ironically is my dad also got me a book about becoming a lawyer uh, when I was a little bit older that, made it seem really impractical for like for a middle-class kid with no, with no one in the family who's a lawyer. It was like the, the book was like, kind of was like this, you know, what's it really like behind the scenes? And it was just kind of, it's kind of, <laughs> it was kind of a discouraging book. So I decided to put away the idea of being a lawyer and I was really good at math. So I applied for engineering schools. Um, but I can never quite shake the idea of being a lawyer. Um, and I think that's in part my, um, my abuelo always thought he could be a great lawyer or, or a politician or something like that, but he had to start working to provide for his family in first grade. Um, so he never got that chance He was self-taught how to read things like that. Um, and a lot of people in my family are, engineers my i have an aunt in south america who's a lawyer uh, it's a little bit different scene down there so i um i decided to check it out again so i took the lsat it's like oh, i'll take the lsat just see how i do um and i did pretty well i did well enough so I started to feel like i could do it and once i was there too being at sc you know it's a big school got a great network um, you know, I got there on a full ride. So I was feeling a little bit more confident. And I also found that I, I really liked the math. I liked the subject, but I wasn't sure I wanted to do engineering for a living. So I said, I'll just keep kind of plugging away at this lawyer thing. And if it looks like it can work out, then I'll go for it. But it was never like my number one plan. But I could never shake the desire. So I just kept plugging away at it until I got a good deal at Pepperdine and decided, okay, I can do this. They're offering me a financial package where I can go. Um, and, you know, I had gone to some other schools, but, you know, I wasn't going to, you know, having read that book, it was kind of more discouraging. I was like, well, I'm not going to go get in a huge amount of debt to go do this. Like if I'm going to do this, I got to do it you know, smart and, I was able to get a good deal at Pepperdine and they were really supportive. Uh, the longer I stayed there and the better I kept doing. So that's, that's how I got into the laws out of a desire at first to, to help people. Um, and someone just told me that lawyers could help people. And 
I could never shake the the idea of doing it. So I kind of kept plugging away on it on the side until it became the main thing I was doing. So, you know, in our culture, we always talk about law and we always kind of pick, poke and make fun of how crooked lawyers are. <laughs> and so I'm wondering, uh, you know, as a Catholic with the intellectual tradition of the church, how do you inform your daily practice as a lawyer? Is there a specific saying? Yeah, book, so for me, um, idea they guide you. Yeah, so first touchstone there was I met I met Doug Kamek, um, who ended up being um, he worked in the Reagan and Bush administrations, and then he also was a ambassador to Malta under President Obama. And um, he um, he was the first person to open up to me the whole idea that there's um, kind of a, a moral component to the law heard any of that before um i grew up in a house that was much more like liberation theology socialist type place and so i only ever really uh had understood the law as an instrument of power used by people usually to uh oppress people and then um and then you know you could use the those tools to fight back um, but that ultimately, um, they weren't representative of any kind of deeper reality, uh, about human life. So Doug was the first person who kind of exposed me to the idea that the law is actually based on something noble, uh, itself, like the law itself can be something noble. Um, and so he had a strong devotion to Thomas More, and he introduced me to that. And he encouraged me to take Thomas More as my confirmation saint, which I did. And I've been super devoted to Thomas More ever since. Um, I try to always ask him for help every day when I start to do my job well for my clients and to do you know, honor and glory to God through my work. And I always tell people I'm really happy there's St. Thomas More because I don't know if you know, but the only other saint that I'm aware of that was a practicing lawyer is uh, Alphonsus Liguri. And he, up until Thomas More was canonized, he was the patron saint of lawyers. So I don't know what kind of message the church is trying to say. <laughs> uh, uh, but, uh, but now we got a guy who, you know, he's still, he had, he had to die. Uh, he, had to, <laughs> he had to die for the faith, but he, he, but he was able to die a lawyer. Uh, so um, I'm really happy. He's part of the church, the church tradition. And um I mean, I have so many Thomas More books, so many of his original writings. He's my model for being a lawyer. And then I um, gotten more in depth to, I'm reading a lot more of uh, Sister Thea Bowman in terms of my, you know, my faith life. Um, you know, I got her, her gospel album, which was great. Uh, got a bunch of uh, books that have her thoughts that I meditate on and um, I kind of really got close and connected to her too. The more I learned about her, um, I don't know if people know this about her, but she's a, she's a convert. She's a Thomas More expert. I don't know if people knew that about her, but her masters and PhD, she both got in Thomas More as a, from the perspective of uh, English, you know, English literature from the literature angle. So um, I'm in the process of tracking down copies of her master's and her PhD work on that. I'm 
hopefully we can get that this year. Take a look at it. Um, looking forward to that. Well, that's really fascinating. I never knew that about um, Thea Bowman. Uh, wow, that's really interesting. Uh, I definitely have to do some research and, and read some more on her now. <laughs> yeah, I recommend it. I recommend anybody. She's a... Uh, yeah, yeah. I uh, really this year is the year I got more, more focus on her. The African women that that uh, you know, my abuela. She really reminded me of my abuela, uh, just how she was dressed, her mannerisms. Um, who kept the faith alive for me? And I was like, well, this woman's like, she's like my abuela. You know, my abuela is really the reason I'm a Catholic today. And you know, she's on the path of sainthood, like. You know, she's another ally for me. She's someone that's looking out, could be looking out for me. So I'm gonna go. I'm gonna, I'm gonna dig deep here, and uh, I have, I have not, not been disappointed at all. I've been very thankful uh, to learn more about her, her, her role in the church, and I'm sure what she's working. She's working for all, all of us in heaven right now. So, so I really enjoyed that. Right, definitely. Right, I know she's up there interceding for us. So when we talk about continuing this like thought on developing character as a lawyer, um, talk, obviously morality and ethics come into mind. How do you ensure that you're developing and practicing the virtues of, of the Christian faith in your daily work? So yeah, so actually, so when I first started at my, like, so my first job actually out of law school was with uh, clerking for Judge O'Scanlan on the Ninth Circuit. Is a real faithful Catholic man, a huge fan of Thomas More as well. So that helped. So just coming out, getting that kind of exposure from a, a very uh, good man, good Catholic, who was also a great judge and a lawyer, and seeing how he approached his profession as an example to me was huge. And then just the uh, kind of importance of being someone helping uh, a judge that first year gives you a perspective that's less, I feel like sometimes you can come at the law. It's very much just like it's a way to get paid and getting that first year working for a judge, you were helping, you hope uh, do justice. And so I think it gives you a certain perspective on, on what the law is. So that, that was good. I met some lawyers who were in Opus Day, And I, I'm a cooperator. I never, never signed up fully to do Opus Day, But what was really helpful about them is how your mentality about how you think about your everyday work, right? They have a rigorous, right? They're always encouraging you to examine your conscience uh, daily, you know? and have, you know, uh, frequent recourse to confession and all that. So I think just being mindful, they, they call it uh, like the divine filiation, right? Your sonship in Christ, which is a reminder that you're always in relationship with God. There's some time where like God's not looking at you. Just, you know, right? it doesn't exist on Opus Day, which is good, right? Because like, like, that's true, right? God's always present. And so always being mindful of your relationship your child God in his presence and being trying to be as aware of that as possible, I think is what helps build your character. Uh, that was a big influence too. I was happy I met up with those people uh, at the beginning of my career. 
because that helped me think about what I was doing and in reference to God. And then while I was clerking for Judge O'Scanlan, I became uh, friends, started a friendship with uh, Hadley Arcus, who now runs the James Wilson Institute on Natural Rights and American Founding. And through that, I kept growing in my understanding of the kind of the moral basis of the Constitution and American, you know, the ideals of American law. Um, and I've been involved in the Institute ever since. The ideal of the Republic is to, you know, do justice, do right. Um, you know, I think helps inform me too, as a lawyer, what I'm doing, right. I, I'm not just a paid hack, right. I'm, I'm there trying to uphold a, a, a rule of law that is hopefully bending towards justice and is also helping people, you know, um, act in a way that's in accord with their, their good and the good of society. How do you live out your Catholic faith? Yeah. Um, well, like I said, like, uh, I try to, you know, I may try to make sure I have active prayer life. Um, you know, I, I recently started, um, uh, doing more of the liturgy, of the hours, uh, make sure that I have, uh, you know, strong prayer life with the, uh, Benedictine Oblates up in, um, Minnesota. Um, I think, you know, when I have, when it makes sense, I also try to do public service. So either that's for a period of time, like for example, I serve on the board of the patrons of the Arts of Vatican Museum. I try to, I'm on my parish council, I've done immigration work, you know, realizing that, um, you know, started trying to stay true to that uh, original like young kid's idea that uh, I was going to do this to to help people. Um, you know, I don't do really the environmental stuff uh, anymore, um, but I still try to find other ways to help people, uh, not just you know build up good lives and good value with the you know. With, I do a lot of intellectual property works in my specialty uh, with the engineering, but also um, where I can, I can step in for things like um, civil rights issues and things like that. Well, thank you for sharing information about how you live out your faith uh, as a lawyer. I think that's a, a vital profession in our society and in the intersection with Catholicism is so real and powerful. Um, one thing I noticed as we conclude the interview, one thing I noticed that was important that you said was that some people have a relationship. You can have a relationship with Jesus or the idea of Jesus. And I just think that was super important because like in Catholicism, we have the fullness of faith, but you know, in other non-Catholic uh, expressions of Christianity, they have this, you know, abstract uh, representation of who Jesus is without the, sometimes without the fullness, without the actual fullness of like the sacraments and, people in professions like lawyers we can we can get things we can get really um theoretical intellectual and i almost think sometimes we focus too much on that in other aspects of our life um you know jesus i, I was i was a big fan um of a lot of the writings of um 
Pope Benedict, especially his Ratzinger writings that he writes about, but also his, his, his Pope. And he focused so much on, you know, his, you know, everyone talks about how he's a great theologian, he's a German, he's a German thinker, whatever. Um, but he always kept coming back to this idea that we're not proposing an idea. We're not proposing a, uh, like a morality code. There was a person, there is a person named Jesus and we're called a relationship with him. That's what this is all comes out of. And I think, um, you know, a lot of our separated brothers and sisters, um, they they see the church as an institution, as rules, as theories, uh, dogmas, and then they see that like, oh, you reattach all those things, and I got the person. And the way I look at it, I'm like, no, 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 here's a living, breathing institution that's the body of Christ that has His sacraments, that His presence on earth. This is where I'm going to interact with a living being that is Jesus you know, all these other kind of institutions that crop up. That's why you got so many denominations, all this and that. It's like, you guys are all searching for an idea of Jesus, you know? Um, and I think, you know, and a lot of them are good. Their heart's in the right place. And a lot of them, I think do actually have personal relationships with our Lord. It's just, you can get so much easier to get confused because at the end of the day, uh, you start intellectualizing the faith when you're outside of, you know, communion with the life of Christ in the church. Um, I think you said that well, and that's super important. And you also said the idea of being outside versus being in. And I think uh, when we talk about the, the boundaries of the church and not just seeing it as some invisible collection of believers. And when we, in, when we are part of this invisible and visible entity, you know, we were, we were truly, you know, entered into the church. Um, but yeah, I wanted to highlight those two things that you said in, in regards to your faith journey at the beginning. I thought those were vital to uh, understanding like the true nature of the, the Catholic church. Um, so yeah, this is gonna conclude this interview and I definitely appreciate you taking the time out to come and share your faith journey and give us some information about how you practice your faith in uh, professional law. Um, I think I was rewarded and I got a lot of good points about, you know, the moral aspect and also like the legal aspect that intersects together because they're not inseparable, but they work together hand in hand to, you know, inform you in your daily work. So thank you for sharing that. Yeah. Well, thanks for uh, having me on. I hope, I hope you enjoyed it. <laughs> yeah, I sure did. And I'm gonna make sure keep you in my prayers and make sure the listeners also keep you in your Keep you in their prayers also. Uh, well, let's conclude this episode of Saintly Witnesses, and you guys can, can tune in to the next episode.